Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Good morning to you. Welcome to Church Online today. And we're continuing this incredible series that we began a few weeks back, uh, based in the book of Ephesians, called The Gospel Lens. And we're looking at how our life really needs to be looking through the lens of this gospel that we've explained so far, the redemptive uh, positioning we have as being seated with Christ, the, the price he paid and, and the price we get to pay as Paul did in his life to follow on from what God so graciously gave us. And so we're picking up now in chapter four and we begin to look at how this really does play out in our life. And today we start with how it really plays out in life together as a church, as God's people. And uh, this incredible knack that we have to divide ourselves amongst uh, beliefs and preferences and styles and all those sorts of things. It's a bit of a churchy message, but uh, it's one now and again we just need to go there and remember what on earth is it that joins us together and why and are we doing it the way that Christ would like. So let's pick it up in Ephesians 4. Verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's really saying, look, as a prisoner, don't forget the price I'm paying here. Look at what's got me into this position. I'm speaking to you as one who's paid quite an incredible price to uh, bring this gospel and live this life. And I'm asking you to do the same. His, His voice echoes down through the tunnel of time to us today. And, you know, we can look at our year, our 2020 year and and remind ourselves of the various levels of hardship or whatever that we've been through. And Paul says, hey, hang on, I'm a prisoner of the Lord here because of this gospel, not because of world circumstance, because of the gospel. And I'm calling you uh, to live a life that's worthy of this calling that comes from this gospel lens. It has implications in our life. He's saying, Don't let that go. Make sure your life reflects the value of what's been done for you and what's been opened up for you. And, you know, in reality, so little of our lives is is given an opportunity to live for a worthy cause. You look at the amount of hours that we spend in our work position or something like that, and we go, I've got to do my job. I'm doing what I'm doing. How do I bring the gospel into that? And it's very limited sometimes what we can do. So he's saying, really, take the moments that you can. Uh, invest in the things that matters in your home and, and with your kids and your friends and, and at your church. He said, live your life in those moments wherever it's possible. Live it in a way that's worthy of this calling. Just because big blocks of our time in the West are set aside where we've just got to do what life requires. Don't let that rob you of this higher calling and the worthiness of that. And he just, we've got to remember that the, the gospel is not limited by all the things that we would say are reasons why. We can't do it. He says, God has no limits. We've just seen that at the end of Ephesians 3. He can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. And with that in mind, we understand that God's vision for your life, vision for his kingdom is without limit. It's beyond scale. Think as big as that and live our life worthy of that calling. And many of us are coming back to this place. The last six or nine months, depending on how COVID's worked out for you, People have been, uh, they've gone into retreat, they've gone a bit quiet, they've gotten a little bit spiritually lazy, emotionally lazy, fitness lazy, a lot of us as well. And we're, But we're coming out of that now and saying, hang on, let's just shake the dust of all that off for a moment and remember what it is we're doing and why. Change the things that bogged us down before and let's get back to the basics of our life. Let's get focus again. And uh, in many ways, COVID and the isolation and all the problems that's been caused by that have really become a bit of a blessing in that sense. It's shaken off. It's woken us up. And we say, hey, what am I doing? Why am I doing it with the time that I've got? And sometimes we do. We have to bottom out before we actually make a turnaround. 
and we get tired of the complacency and we're ready to pursue matters in life that matter again, whatever the cost. And we begin to realize and remember in many ways that the kingdom of God that's so often manifested through the local church, not only through the local church, but so often through that vehicle of the church, uh, it's time for it to be woken up again. And it's not built on the convenience factor. It's built on the commitment factor. It's not about anymore uh, the nuance of preference and style. It's on commitment. It's on those who wrestle the, this thing to the ground and say, I'm going I'm to change my life. I'm going to structure my life around the power of the gospel and what it means. So Paul begins to incite this enthusiasm in all of us. But before it becomes a man-made venture where we just go off in our own strength and knowing that it's the right thing to do and doing it in our way, it's almost like he immediately pulls us up in the way, in the mechanism through which we do that. We pick it up in verse 2. He says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And he's saying there, just back away for a moment from the individualistic preference or the man-made push. Um, the pull that we find in our own life, because if we're doing it in our own strength, in our own way, we're going to become advocates for our own nuance of cause here. We're going to start to say, let's do this our way. Let's do this in a way that suits me because it's bound to be the way that suits everybody else. And Paul is saying, now be humble, be gentle. You know, he's saying, pull away from doing this thing in your own strength and for your own purposes, even though it might be a godly thing, a, god a godly enterprise, because something, even God's will, if it's not done God's way, still ends up becoming quite fruitless in our life. So he's saying, build uh, God's work, but do it with sort of maniacal inclusiveness and grace. He says, get really obsessive about the things that really matter. Humility, grace, and so on. He's saying, being gentle with one another, be patient with one another. And what he means there is, you've got to buffer the differences, buffer the tendency in all of us that's going to want to do it our way. And, and the way we get so specific about how we do that. He's saying, you've got, to, you've got to bear with one another. If we're going to do the kingdom thing, the kingdom is inclusive. The kingdom doesn't start with all the things that we don't have in common. It starts with the things that we do have in common. It builds huge bridges to those who are on a journey, saying there's room in God's room, there's room at his table for all sorts of people from all sorts of backgrounds. And so the humility that we're finding, even in our little church at Kenmore, is, is it's just so gratifying for me to watch as those who are coming in so many of them have been wisened by years, decades of seeing church trends and waves come and go. And they're coming in with a real humility and authenticity, a determinedness to say, we're not playing church anymore. We really are done with that. We want to be the church. We are the church. And we want to see the church move out into the community with grace and with humility and with gentleness. Not in a way that necessarily is impressive. It may be impressive, but let's impact as our major preference there. And so Paul goes on in verse 3 to say, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's two terms there, the unity of the Spirit, the bond of peace. And the unity of the Spirit, it's a thing, it's not like saying, well, we've got our own little secret society here. We have this unity of the Spirit thing going, which means we all just get it. It's not like a secret handshake or a hat that's got a logo on it or something that separates us like that. It's No, it's something that's based in, literally in, the Spirit of God. He's saying the unity of the Spirit is a, is a unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. Not just the fact that the Spirit is living in you, but the Spirit is inciting in us an ability to find unity. Because our flesh is going to lean towards preference. But the unity of the Spirit unifies us around what matters to God. It unifies us around the enablement of God, the grace of God working in our life. He's saying the Spirit in your life is all is what we need to form this, uh, you, this uh, uh, bond of peace 
that is so hard to maintain if it's just up to the preferences of the human flesh and human preference and personality and so on. And so we need to get beyond what we can do in our own strength and find this unity based on what God gives us. And he's saying that peace is really the binding agent here. He says it's a bond of peace. And peace is not the absence of disagreement. We've got to be really clear on that. Sometimes we think that peace can only come where there is agreement. But God's people have seldom agreed on everything. There's so much of a broad spectrum of of understanding and and that nuanced thing again of of what we particularly believe or, or want to lean into. And peace is not the absence of that disagreement. Peace is the pursuit of something higher than that. It's it's the pursuit of something that really matters, the unifying aspects of what we're about. And Paul begins to flesh these out. And so we need to be very careful about what do we base uh, a local church on? What do we base the means of our fellowship on? Because if we're basing it on 100% agreement of everything, then as soon as we disagree, we're giving each other permission to disengage. And so he's saying we've got to go higher than that. We've got to find this unity through the bond of peace. It's saying that I won't sacrifice our relationship on the altar of difference. And so he goes on to say that unity is based in all the things that we have in common. And there's quite a list, and Paul brings them out there in Ephesians 4. And uh, you can just begin to feel his heart here because he primarily wants to see God's people connected. He wants to focus on what connects us and uh, knowing that that's what's going to take us forward. Let's pick it up in uh, verse 3, I think it is. It says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and is in all. So there you see this repetition of the things that matter, but he's saying there's one of these things. And one has always been uh, a loaded term. It's a very interesting term in both Old and New Testament. Uh, one doesn't necessarily mean singular. Uh, when it comes to one church, uh, there's the churches scattered, the churches all over the place. It looks different in every suburb. And even in one suburb, there might be five different churches that all look different. And yet we can all still be one. And in the Old Testament, the word for one that was so often used, uh, particularly the way uh, the Old Testament described God as being one. It says, uh, love the Lord your God, the, the Lord is one. That, that word in Hebrew is ihad, which means uh, composite unity. It means that there's many have been brought together to form a whole. In particular, that word for ihad means uh, three, that three come together and make one. So even back then in the Old Testament, they're defining God in terms of a composite unity of three coming together to form one Lord. And in the New Testament, it, it carries not just a terminology, but a whole philosophy with it. There's a whole worldview based around what is one. Um, it's really saying that in the oneness, it's, it's a corporate oneness. It's saying we are one church, meaning that we all come together and we are one when we do come together. And so it's some of the obvious things that that we know so clearly from Scripture that uh, we all have a place. But you can say, well, I have a place, but you can still behave as an individual. It's almost like a bunch of individuals coming together in the same room. But that's not oneness. The whole idea of New Testament oneness is that we are one because we're found together. It's like we are part of a whole And every part only finds itself when it is completely connected to the whole. And this has incredible implications for the way we do church because we're not looking for one preference, singular preference. We're looking for what's the oneness that draws us all together. And in Australia, which most of us viewing this will be from the Australian context, this is very important. It's very important that we understand this because this goes in direct 
uh, opposition to the pervasive culture, which we've colloquially called the, the tall poppy syndrome. And we hold up the tall poppy syndrome with great respect sometimes. It's like, oh, someone's shooting their head above the crowd. Let's cut them off. Uh, and that's a very simplistic way to look at it. But it actually goes a lot deeper than that. Because the tall poppy syndrome says that if you rise above us, there's an inference that says you must have done that by doing something either wrong or done it because your ascension has meant that I miss out. This is the underlying theory behind the tall poppy syndrome. If you've risen, you've done it at my expense. And that's why we feel so compelled to cut people down. Tall poppy says you've, you've risen up because you've done something wrong. It says even in a leadership sense uh, that you can't go beyond the level of the leadership and structure that's in place there. So I might be the leader of an, an organization and still have a tall poppy syndrome. And what I'm saying is you can't rise above me. The organization can't go above the level of its leadership. But that's not a kingdom mindset. That's not oneness begins to look like. Because oneness leadership could say, uh, it's great when someone rises higher above because the oneness concept means that what belongs to you belongs to me. And who you are, you belong to us all. And so any gift that you are is a gift to us all. Any rising and ascension and blessing that comes upon you is a blessing to us all. So it's a whole different mindset. A leadership can, a leader can say, I want you to rise beyond me. You're here, get, get on my shoulders and jump, go as high as you can. I'm not going to cap you. I'm not threatened by you. I want you to go further and beyond us. And so oneness is this beautiful concept that sets us all free to become fully who we are in Christ in the context of a greater community. And the greater community makes that rising possible. It's beautiful. It's freeing. It doesn't put a cap on anybody. And it means that a church can be a church of many colors. It's a church where you're free to be who you are in Christ, but who you are only makes sense as you're embedded in the body of Christ. And it's funny that when we form a whole idea of unity in the spirit, we've evolved it to mean a homogenous church. It means that everyone's the same. We all look the same. We all believe the same. We all express ourselves in the same way. We want everyone to think and act like me. The irony of all that is, I mean, which, which version of me do we expect people to look like. I mean, even, even myself, and I'm quite a consistent character, I see all sorts of versions of me through any given day. Uh, when I first get up in the morning at my age, there's the me that feels like I'm 150 years old. I struggle to bend over enough to put a sock on. Uh, what if I bring that version of me into the body of Christ? It's like, oh, don't make waves, don't make it too hard. I just want to sit back here and just relax, you know. But there's a version of me that, that finds myself in church and I, I come to life. Oh, it's great to see you. My life's complete now because you're here. You know, or there's all these other different versions of me. I mean, God help us if the, the car driving version of me turns up in church. It's like, you know, get out of my way. I want to get to my chair. You're getting in the way. Why can't they do it better? All that sort of stuff begins to come out in us. If, if, I, if all these versions of me exist, uh, how do I want church to look in a way that fits in with just me? It's just never going to work. We've got to go higher than this. We've got to seek unity based in the spirit. We've got to seek unity based in the things that really matter. And so this becomes a much harder thing to do. It becomes something that's impossible in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit to do that. So Paul goes on in verse 4. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. So he's saying that the spirit is in each of us and our future, our ultimate destination is the same. We're pursuing the same goal. We should be fueled by the same love, the thing that really matters, the spirit, our one God, the salvation, this gospel that we have. Should, should be the reason why we come together, not the reason that we find to bring separation. And we've got to understand that Christ's vision for the church, his vision for kingdom, is just so unbelievably bigger than what humanity in the best of our flesh 
can conjure up. We love our denominations. We love that we love finding what we believe. We love investing lots of time in learning all these sorts of things. And we use those as ways to draw boxes around ourselves and we make denominations and we make uh, all sorts of trends and all this sort of thing. But the kingdom is a kingdom without walls. The kingdom invites everybody in. The kingdom, uh, this is why I love Churches of Christ so much and, and why our little church is just uh, thriving in the way that it is in its spirit. Because there's, a, there's a, a saying that forms the Churches of Christ that says, there is no creed but Christ. At first, that sounds a little bit scary. It's like saying, what, don't you believe in something? No, we believe in things. We're, we're tied as a drum in theology, all that kind of stuff. And yet the things that we espouse, the values that, that we really talk about most, uh, they're not the creeds that would divide us and separate us from some other denominational movement. It's really saying, come to this well that is Jesus. Come and drink from that well, because that's what's most important. We want life. We want to give life. We want to draw more people to life. And so we agree with what Paul's saying here. We're one body. And when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he was writing to one church. But one church was not one church located in one house. It was the whole region. He's saying all those people who are the church, because the church was never defined by a local building. He's saying, no, all of you, no matter where you are in this whole region, I'm talking to all of you. You might be in that house or that house. You may look like that or look like that. I'm talking to all of you. And he says that is the church of Ephesus. And so you could look at the church of, of Brisbane or southeast Queensland and say the same thing. Because the churches, we're not in competition. It's wrong to draw these barriers and defining statements all the time because we actually, we're not here to compete. We're here to complete. Every church in every suburb finds its place as God has designed it to be and as, as those people have come together. And even though we challenge not to be overdefined sometimes, but even sometimes with that, he'll find a way to say, well, this church can meet this need really well and it, it adds strength to the whole church in the whole region by doing that. We're designed to complete one another, not compete, not to measure and not to try and one-up anyone else. We're here to be the body of Christ in Southeast Queensland. And so Paul's greater point through these verses in Ephesians 4 is to let the simple gospel, let it permeate our life, let us see our life through the lens of these simple unifying aspects, the one vision, the one faith, the one God, the one spirit, the one gospel. And let's focus on those sorts of things and make them the reason for our energy and our enthusiasm. It's really easy as a church, as we go through maturity, to become so defined uh, by what we've developed as our way of doing things rather than the reason why we do things. I'm thinking, uh, as I read recently, of uh, a movement in uh, Massachusetts on the east coast of America. And back a couple of hundred years ago, there was a lot of shipwrecks would happen from the Atlantic there. And so they formed the Massachusetts Coastal Rescue Society. And, and these people were formed of the most heroic and courageous and strong men that they could find. And what they would do, they would have these huge rowboats. And these guys would go out in the wildest of storms if a ship was in trouble. They would man their boats and they would row out through this surf through the wild waves, and they would save as many as they can. And these guys became the strongest and best known. They became experts at what they were doing. And so they would have stations all the way up the Massachusetts coast, and they would just man these things 24-7, waiting to find anyone that's in trouble. They would risk their lives. Many lost their lives in doing it. But over the decades and eventually the centuries, they, they began to form this reputation and, and they needed to consolidate. So they built buildings and they got budgets and they got plans and they, they, they dedicated themselves to training and getting better and better at what they were doing. And, but as time went on, technology moved on, shipping moved on, 
Eventually there were steamships and eventually there were GPS navigations, eventually there were helicopters and all sorts of things that would take the place of those courageous men who were rowing. But by that stage, they were committed to what they were doing. They were committed to longevity. They were committed to keeping what they were doing going. They were married to the strategy and they'd forgotten the goal. And so these buildings are still there to this day. And they're still meeting. They've still got their buildings and their budgets and they still go through all their plans and they put their reports in. But they haven't saved anyone for decades. They just exist. And I look, I look at that and I think it's, it's so incredibly sad that such a, a, a glorious history uh, can be protected and yet the protection of the history forbids them from moving on to the greater goal. We need to remember our goal. Our goal is to have the lost get found and, and found people grow, to place no limits on that. And we need to admit that in uh, 2020, as we go into 2021, that the world has fundamentally shifted, that the COVID uh, season has been an accelerator. It's been a shaking time where uh, the church has, has, has been really, to its core, has been shaken by, do we value attendance? Do we value people coming together and all these sorts of things? And so a lot of those old metrics are under threat. And this is actually a great time because we begin to re reconsolidate, reassess why are we doing what we're doing. And it's a time for a new form of church. It's time for a new measure of success. It's not necessarily measured in the size of a building or the amount of people on seats. It's measured by impact. It's measured by engagement where we're playing our part in God's calling as one people reaching out uh, to share the gospel with those in our community. And the very thing that the people in our society who are looking for God's people, the very thing that we're looking for is actually the thing that's become most under threat. But it also gives us the opportunity to redefine what that is. And that is the smaller local church, the church of, you know, 200 people, 150 people that can come together. You're known, you can contribute. That very model of church is under threat because it's so hard normally for those churches to do what they're doing well because they're a little bit under-resourced and so on. And so we're seeing uh, the trending is that, that those churches are getting smaller and, and the larger churches are getting bigger. And there's a place for small, there's a place for big. It's not a matter of value. It's a matter of mechanism. How do we do this? And I think it's time for a new model of church. It's time for something different to work, where a church, as we're committed to at Kenmore, where we have a multiplication mindset. A goal is to say there's, we can't limit what God would want to do by the size of a budget or the size of a building. Because if we're doing that, we've missed the goal. The goal is to be scalable. The, the, the kingdom has no limits. And so what if we could find a place that from the very beginning could dedicate itself to multiplying itself through multiplied leadership, through multiplied discipleship, through leaders who build leaders, not who build ministries. And, and as we grow this, we can then leverage out into other fellowships. We can plant new churches in each community led by pastor shepherds who love their people, but a resource from a central hub that can take all that heavy lifting of governance and training and, and all the development pathways. We can do it for them. We can share crop high quality staff amongst many churches. We can equip volunteers to fulfill their calling. So everyone has a purpose, everyone's released, and everyone can reach out and bring someone to a church within their local community. I think that's what God's doing now. I think that's what the post-COVID world will begin to look like. There's room for all sorts of shapes and sizes, but what we're dedicated to here is a church that multiplies disciples, multiplies leaders, multiplies fellowships. So anyone who's looking for God and God's people can find it within 10 or 15 minutes of their house, can find a thriving fellowship where they're noticed, where they're connected, where they're grown, and when they're loved. That's the goal that we're looking for here. And it begins right here, it begins right now. This is what we're about. 
And so uh, wherever you are looking at this today, I hope that you're connected to a church like that. It doesn't need to be ours, but get involved in a church that's committed to the ultimate goal, getting the lost found, helping the found grow, and, and completing the mission of Christ, this calling that Paul talked about in verse 1 that's worthy uh, of this, this gospel that's been presented to us. So I bless you today, and I just pray uh, that this would resonate in your heart. You'd, you'd find a way in this season as we're coming out of COVID to really say, what matters to me? Am I living a life worthy of the calling that I've received? Is what matters to him what matters to me? Am I unified? Have I found a place that is unified? Whatever you do, be a part of a church like that. Recommend that you uh, work through the, um, the downloadable content, the extra uh, video that we've got in place there to help you apply this. It's got some questions in there. You can download that from the website on the link on screen. Uh, bless you now, and we look forward to seeing you again soon.